Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number nine. This is my first threesome. In other words, I'm talking with two guests, Walter Brogan and Charles Santino. If you're a fan of hippo farts, you are in for a big treat. Walter has been a storyboard artist for a number of years, but he's much better known for his work on Marvel's Crazy Magazine and for Cracked Magazine. Charles, meanwhile, has written numerous books such as Ayn Rand's Anthem, illustrated by Joe Staten, as well as for Marvel's Conan and What the Comics, and the books Running from the Devil, A Memoir of a Boy Possessed, and Louis L'Amour, Law of the Desert Born. Together, Walter and Charles are the artist and writer, respectively, for a new book series featuring Danny and Harry, a cat and seagull pair of private detectives. Their first volume is out with the title, Danny and Harry, Private Detectives, The Case of the Missing Trunk. Here they are, Walter Brogan and Charles Santino. All right, we are on the air with Walter Brogan and Charles Santino. How are you both doing today? Very good. Okay. This... I, recorded, I recorded a hippo fart. You want to hear it? Sure. <laughs> All right. Keep talking and I'll find it. I okay. Find it. <laughs> I thought you had it at the ready here. Okay. So, well, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad we're starting out on a, on a very high level of sophistication. Okay. Well, like it or not, I've known Walter for, for a I while. I know it's I know it's here. I'll find it. Don't worry about that. <laughs> And um, this may be the craziest uh, podcast I've done yet, but uh, <laughs> because it's a three-way, first of all. So, anyway, um, glad to have you both here, Walter. I know Thank from you. Cracked Magazine doing an interview for my book. If you're cracked, you're happy. And Charles Santino, I apparently know from various projects, but I've never actually spoken to you before. So, why don't I start with you while Walter is looking up some sounds. Uh, tell, sure. us, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into writing and things like that. Sure. Oh, uh, oh wait a minute. Oh, oh, well, I, I think he's talking to me. Charles. I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> you can see how well Walter and I work together. And, and actually, we... We could have met, uh, I don't know, late mid mid late eighties because we both worked did work for Larry Hama or Hama at Marvel, uh, even on some of the same magazines, uh, Savage Tales Volume Two. But uh, I didn't know him; he didn't know me. We never met, and um, it took us another uh, thirty plus years to uh, actually get together. Uh, I I started by submitting. Uh, material for Savage Tales because it was an anthology and I figured eh, it's only four pages eight pages I could get in I could get out it doesn't have to be the best thing ever it just has to fill a spot and so I made my first sale uh, to Marvel and then after that uh, I did Conan for Marvel for a while mm -hmm. and a uh, short humor piece for What The I remember that. Which was yeah, which was a parody of the teenage uh, ninja mutant turtles, or is it mutant ninja turtles? Those guys, <laughs> and um, that was drawn by uh, Keith Wilson. I don't know if you know Keith Wilson stuff. He did a really fine job with that uh, humor piece. And from there, I uh, uh, worked for some of the other companies. Did a 
very interesting original graphic novel for DC that was killed along with a whole bunch of other projects when the industry crashed and burned in the early 90s. <laughs> and so none of that stuff has seen the light of day, including uh, Joe Staten had drawn 100 pages and gotten paid for it for an adaptation of Larry Niven's Ringworld. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I've seen those pages, but uh, they have they have never been published either. Huh. So uh, I, I kind of left the industry when it when it crashed and burned in the early 90s and then came back around 2008 and at that point most of the uh, so-called legitimate book publishers had graphic novel lines mm -hmm. and since i had worked in editorial for dodd mead and company a regular book publisher in the 80s i knew that industry so i decided to take that route and and that's how i got back in and i've been uh doing a variety of different things since around 2008, including stuff for Edgar Rice Burroughs, adapting Louis L'Amour. And I had a project that I thought Walter would be perfect for, but he <laughs> didn't think so. And 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 he introduced me to uh, Danny, Harry, uh, Danny and Harry and their ensemble and um, had a rather lame idea for a story involving them. <laughs> if I may say so. <laughs> and I said, uh, let's let's think about another approach. He liked it, and it was off to the races. And um, the characters were so inspiring, so bizarre, and so funny <laughs> that I thought, this is great. Uh, I, can, I can come up with stuff for these guys. And uh, fortunately, we see uh, eye to eye on most most things every once in a while he has to drag me back to reality or i have to drag him back to reality <laughs> but but in the end he likes what i'm doing i like what he's doing and uh it's uh, it's been working so far so so you tend to work together nowadays correct Is that what... yeah with the stories are our our collaborations we we bounce ideas back and forth and uh, try to come up with something that's going to be interesting uh, to both of us. The the real challenge with Walter is that he he wants to draw a large ensemble of characters, and so I have to try to figure out how to juggle all these characters and make sure they all get their proper time uh, on the stage and have something to do in the story. So it's a that's a bit of a challenge, and I thought that he might have gotten that out of his system with the first story, but we're working on the second one, and uh, he's got like ten new characters. So. <laughs> Walter, why are you doing that? <laughs> I found the hippo fight. You want to hear? Oh, okay, <laughs> that's a good response. <laughs> seen the footage where that's from. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Was that wild or what? It's wild. Huh? It's not, it always sounds like a that's bee something. or something. <laughs> Ooh. That's that's the, when I first saw that, I was totally amazed. I almost fell off the chair. <laughs> well, maybe we, can, maybe we can work that into a comic with a scratch and sniff uh, feature. 
So what are we going? What are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about why you draw so many extra characters that uh, Charles has to now write stories for, whereas before he was writing very simply. <laughs> now it's very complex. Because, because I'm, lo I'm lonely. You're lonely. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> yeah, the first uh, the first story will end up being 140 pages, just so I can just so I can get all those characters that he drew in there. Wow. Well, how, that okay. Explain that to me. I mean, it's like don't you kind of plan it ahead of time so there's no real need to add characters or? Well, be, initially it was um, it was a web comic. Okay. So. We figured it doesn't really, we don't know how long it's going to be. Uh, it doesn't matter how long it's going to be. But then when... <laughs> shut up. Walter shut or his up. baby is crying, one of the two. I told him to shut up. <laughs> oh, it must be Walter then. Anyway, when we, you'll when be the straight we, man here, we, Charles. I hope you know. <laughs> yeah, apparently, when we hooked up with uh, Marcosia Publishers, okay, so now it's it's got to be close ended. So we figured this looks like it's going to be about 140 pages. Uh, there's going to be initially six issues that are published as uh, e-comics or electronic or PDFs, and then it'll be collected in print and as an e-book. Each story will be a between 22 and 24 pages. The next story sequence we do will be a little better planned in terms of uh, knowing how many pages and, uh, and the format, so it'll be uh, strictly 24 pages uh, per issue. But uh, there were an awful lot of characters, and, and uh, there's a, a pretty big pileup uh, of all of them uh, at the end of the the story in issue number six mm -hmm. and uh some of them some of them survive some of them don't mm. uh we uh, you know not to give too much away but we were a little concerned about well these some of these characters are really good why did we kill them <laughs> and uh so 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 instead of uh, some characters that um initially were going to get killed are just badly wounded now <laughs> and they'll, they'll, they'll they'll be back <laughs> all right and is this uh, plan to be like just ongoing as long as you can do it, or do you have yeah, a set we're gonna, schedule? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna keep go we're gonna keep going until somebody reads it. Ah. <laughs> and uh, I I don't remember if you said did you say who's publishing it? Marcosia Enterprises, which oh, uh, they claim to be the largest. Uh, UK independent comic book publisher. Okay, I'm not familiar with them, but that's not saying much. I could, yeah, <laughs> they could be the biggest, and I don't know. <laughs> in a case, yeah, like they that. had, they had, uh, they had published a uh, memoir that I adapted for a guy named Steve Kissing out in Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. um, he had a very rare form of epilepsy when he was a kid. He had visual and auditory hallucinations. He was convinced he was possessed by the devil. Wow. Uh, didn't tell anybody for five <laughs> years because he was afraid that the devil would just get angry with him. Hmm. And finally, the uh, the jig was up when he had a full-blown uh, epileptic seizure in public. But he wrote a memoir about 15 years ago about this and wanted to adapt it to a graphic novel. And that just came out a few months ago from um, Marcosia. So when we decided to take uh, uh, Danny and Harry to a publisher. Naturally, I went to Marcosia, and they said yes immediately. 
so I shut down the the webcomic was uh, on Webtoons, which is a pretty big site. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I shut it down there. It was actually starting to get a little bit of uh, an audience over on uh, over on Webtoons, and but it, these web comics take a, a very very long time ultimately to get to any kind of critical mass. The guys who are making the most money at webcomics have been doing it for anywhere from five to seven years before they uh, before they can make anything close to a living at it. Yeah, sounds like doing a podcast. <laughs> yeah, we, don't have, we, we don't we don't have that time. We're probably not going to be alive in another seven years. Uh, so, is, is this is is this for your retirement, Walter? Or are you, <laughs> I thought he. I thought he was retired. Oh, okay. I don't even think of retirement. I keep strict orders. As soon as I'm pronounced dead, cremate me and throw my ashes out the window. <laughs> so, Walter, what have you done since cracked? I mean, I know you're working for Disney and other stuff. What have you done in the last uh, most, twelve uh, years? <laughs> yeah, I've always done that. That's where the money was. As a matter of fact, once I stopped with a crack, I think it was, the last job I did was for uh, Dick Culper. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was the I last, uh... I believe it was Silverstone. We did something on The Sopranos. Oh. Uh, Lou, I mean, Lou actually forced me back in to do that. I didn't want to. Hmm. I mean, the page rate was ridiculously low. And at that point, I was pretty much burnt out on that type of work. Mm. Yeah, I've been doing it for like 20 years, and I just, I just lost interest in it for mm. some reason. Mm. I guess the money in advertising was so good that I just said, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. screw this. I grew up, I, I don't love comics. <laughs> right. Well, I know when we talked last time, you we were talking about, you know, it was something that you kind of dashed off in a hurry just to, like, because it was kind of fun to do, but, you know, it's like your well, main well, well, your main bread and butter well, was the advertising well, I mean, or I mean, Disney or whatever. Like, Go ahead. When Paul Lakin was running the magazine, I mean, I just took it as, uh, uh, it was, the money was like gas money, you know, <laughs> maybe picking up lunch, <laughs> and it was time for me to experiment mm-hmm. with different things, different Ten points, different techniques, different style. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that point, uh, but I, you know, I, I enjoyed. I, I, I love doing that type of work. Yeah. Well, I think but, we, I think I've asked this before, but your your first work was for Crazy then uh, over at Marvel. Yeah, Crazy, Crazy. And and how did you get in contact with Paul Lakin in the first place? And Louis Sherman. Oh, okay. Um, she was over, she was over at Marvel, mm-hmm. and, and I brought some stuff up, and she pulled Paul Lakin over, and I walked out with a seven-page story called Logan's Run, mm-hmm. and that was it. Wow, because <laughs> yeah, I know you stayed oh, affiliated made... with him for a while. Didn't you even do his magazine called Wacko and a couple others too? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was, he was, you know, Paul was amazing in that way. He was always popping up new magazines just out of nowhere. He would just get these magazines and he would call up a bunch of us guys up and said, hey, I got a new magazine. Because <laughs> <laughs> I always wondered about that. I mean, I always say it's kind of uh, interesting how Lakin got all these people, including yourself, being very loyal to him. You know, it's like no matter where he went, he had like the same... Uh, 
crew with him, as it were, doing the art and the writing well, and things I, like that. Yeah, I mean, he was just cool as up. He knew us, and he liked working with us. And I was, I was, I, you know, I was happy. I could take my car out now. I had gas money. <laughs> now, did you ever interact with any of the other artists in that group, like Tony Tallarico or Vic Martin no, or anything no. like that? It was all just separate and under Paul Lakin's umbrella, as it were. <laughs> On, uh, not on, on, uh, what was his name? Uh, well, I said Vic Martin. Vic, Vic Martin is the one I said. Or Vic Martin. Martin. Yeah. Vic Martin. Vic, well, V-I-C. V-I-C. <laughs> Vic. <laughs> he was a little, he was a little guy, right? He was he, Argentine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I met him when I was probably 15. Uh-huh. I was taking karate classes with another friend of mine. <laughs> And the guy who was running the karate class was an Argentine guy. And, you know, his nose was all over his face, and he was like <laughs> a black belt, ninth degree. Uh-huh. And he was showing me all these little cartoons that this guy, Dick Martin, was that, that was his name, Dick Martin? It was Vic, V-I-C, like Victor. Oh, Vic, Vic, that's right, yeah, yeah. that's right. Vic, Dick Martin was on laughing. <laughs> that's right, that's right. I just didn't like it a long time. Dick Martin, all right, I'm all and there's Dean Martin and Don Martin and okay. Don Martin. <laughs> it was Tony Martin. Tony yeah. Martin, that's true. <laughs> Remember him, the singer, the crooner? Yeah. <laughs> married Sid Cerise. He yep. was married to Alice Faye. <laughs> uh, where was I? Oh, Vic Martin. Vic. So he showed me all these little girly cartoons that Vic Martin did. Mm-hmm. And I got to I got to meet him. He come down to the karate place, and I got to meet him. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you so, meet him again? Did you go to that the the infamous cracked thirtieth anniversary party at that one year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I met him again. He said, oh, okay. "Why wow, you got big? <laughs> <laughs> big in height or big in weight or both?" <laughs> Yeah, I, well, I grew. I was like 15, and the next time we met was like 20 Oh, he years said later. that. I thought, I thought you said that yeah, about him. Yeah, he said, why? You got, you got big. And he said, now you made it to the big time. And I'm looking at him and I'm just, big time. What are you talking about? <laughs> 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 I don't know, maybe not my advertising work, but, you know, anyway. <laughs> Speaking of the advertising work, is there anything in the advertising world that... Uh, we might know uh, that was like a campaign that you're proud of or anything like that? No, I did the storyboards or, or the animatics. Okay. But was there anything that for any a, campaigns like a Coca-Cola or something like that? Or? You name it, I probably did it. Oh, okay. so I've been doing it since 1978 and you name it, I've done it. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I, I must have done storyboards about millions of storyboard frames. So, did you do it for any one agency, or did you do it for any agent? Is it just like... No, like, I had three reps. Okay. Reps, they're like agents. They, they um, rep you, they find work, they take 25%. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had one in New York, one in Chicago, one in L.A. Mm-hmm. And that was how I originally spotted uh, Walter on uh, one of these sites that had the work of... Uh, storyboard artist because the project that I I was interested in using him for I had originally an artist who was a storyboard artist had done some comics for me and uh, then 
he wasn't available anymore. And I thought, well, that works. So let me find another storyboard artist. Hmm. And I found uh, found Walter, and uh, that's when he showed me uh, Danny and Harry. But these these storyboard artists, although storyboards are somewhat sort of related to to, to comics, not really because. Hmm. Some of these guys cannot make the transition at all. Uh, some of these advertising guys uh, I used once, uh, a one a long time ago, that uh, everything he drew was a montage. Hmm. So when it wasn't panel-to-panel continuity. Every page was, uh, was like a, a poster for a movie instead of um, panel-to-panel uh, storytelling. So... He he just couldn't get the hang of it, but uh, Walter very very uh, well understands the uh, uh, the way comics work. And uh, if you take a look at Danny and Harry, you see uh, some some really strong visual storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ma, have you seen anything on Danny and Harry? Are you familiar with it? Uh, to be honest, all I've really seen is the cover and a few panels because I was just doing a little brief research and I go, huh, Walter's doing something else. <laughs> so it's like, you know, um, it's just kind of interesting how it came about, you know, but uh, I'll have to check it out, to be honest. I hate to be so ignorant about what you're currently working on, but hey, you know, it's like... You yeah, know. it's on, you, pro- well, you probably it's saw it on three guys. Nobody has to know. It's oh. just because <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, shit, anybody's going to know it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the book's on Comicsology right now, so that's probably where you saw the three pages on the cover. Yeah, yeah. Tell them to go to dannyandharry.com. That'll take you to a site where you can probably see more work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that I think jumps to the um, uh, that jump right now. That jumps to the Facebook page, and and what you'll see on the Facebook page are the posts that I did when we were doing the uh, the weekly web comic, and then. I kind of went silent for a while, and then when the comic itself came out, I started it back up again. So there's quite a few panels on the Facebook page from the first uh, 27 or so pages, because that's how far we that's how far we got with the uh, with the web comic. Mm-hmm. Well, well, listen, Mark, we can send you the whole first issue. I mean, for a price. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind ordering it. That's not a problem. Oh, okay. <laughs> You'll double our sales. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll double the list. Actually, I think you'll, I think you'll, I think you'll enjoy it. It's, uh-huh. uh, you know, it's like old school, old movies. You know, nineteen late forties film noir. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They're private detectives, and uh, I think we captured the mood. Don't you think so, Charles? Yeah, it has a little bit of a Warner Brothers cartoon feel, but not as. Uh, is over the top in terms of the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, I mean, if if a bomb goes off in somebody's face in our in our world, he's dead. Uh-huh. Uh, unlike, <laughs> <laughs> unlike in a Warner Brothers cartoon, but it has some of that sensibility to okay. it. And certainly, the style of drawing is um, uh, very very cartoony. These are car- these are cartoon animals. Um, I know that Walter and I are both enamored of the uh, the UPA cartoons. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I'd say it's sort of like a little bit of UPA, a little bit of yeah. one of these. So, but I, you know, it, it, but then again, you know, I think it comes—it's a little more realistic, even though we're using cartoon characters. It, it is a little more real
it's set, it's set in the real world. It's set. It's definitely set in the real world, except that everybody is a funny animal. Mm, okay. But other other than that, there's cars, there's buildings, there's plumbing. You know, it's it's the real world. With dark shadows all over. You know, it's at night. Dark shadows. Uh, uh, dark alleys, warehouses. Now, what's the People overall tone? What's, what's the overall People tone of it? Does, is there any, is it like humorous or is it more serious with occasional bits of humor or how does that? It, it's probably seventy percent serious and thirty percent humor. Hmm. That's about that's about right. My my original idea was to play it completely straight, mm-hmm. so you'd see these funny animals, but it would be completely straight. But the pictures just forced me to. <laughs> To, to to do some funny stuff mm-hmm. and I, I just um, I decided I couldn't be that doctrinaire about my original idea of just playing it 100% straight so, but you do get caught up I think you get caught up in the story and you really feel you forget you're looking at funny animals mm-hmm. because the the situations the characterizations I think come off as very real and I try to maintain consistency with the characters so that after a while you 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 know what the character is about and what the character will do and won't do and what the character's motivations are and what the conflicts are so we treat plotting and characterization very and dialogue very very seriously mm-hmm. but again you're looking at these you're looking at these wacky animals mm-hmm. <laughs> So if somebody is not a big fan of animals, let's say if they're just like typical comic book fans, like superheroes and that type of stuff, will they enjoy this or will it be kind of, oh, crap, this is really weird. I don't like this at all. It depends on how open their mind is. But Walter and I have talked an awful lot about this, and we've decided that our audience is definitely not going to be the typical superhero uh, fan, it's going to be people who are fans of Warner Brothers cartoons, fans to, of uh, uh, film noir and crime novels, and and that whole post-war uh, genre of, uh, of of mysteries, and uh, even these people who are into uh, anthropomorphic furries. You know that that that's probably going to be part of the audience too. Uh, I worked with Joe Staten on uh, something and he told me he had when he was working on um, uh, Scooby-Doo he got invited to one to Anthrocon and he said it was the strangest thing (laughs) he had ever been to in his life so I think that we're probably going to have to dip our toe in that world at some point but uh, wherever the fans come from is fine with me I mean I'm 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 a fan of superhero comics and I like this stuff. So I do think there will be some people who are fans of mainstream comics who would be interested in this, but that's not where the core audience is going to be. Right. No, we we, we talked about this a few times, remember? Uh, I'll oh, we, this, yeah. It's going to be big in Europe. It's going to be big in France, yeah. uh, Italy, Spain, uh, maybe, maybe Germany. You know, we're... They're not so heavy on superheroes, right? Yeah, yeah. I know uh, they, they like like the, the, they got like detective stories, pirate stories, uh, you name it. You know, right. it's not like here yeah, where everything's got to be. You know, it's not a comic book unless there's a guy with big muscles. 
right. and then a costume one. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I know they're you know, the Tintin and Lucky Luke and Asterix, and you know they even like the Disney ducks far greater than we do in this country, and it's from the United States. It's kind of interesting that way. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's well, they picked that's, up on jazz. They picked up on jazz pretty big over there. Hmm. What's that? What's that? They about? picked up on jazz before we did. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and, and Jerry Lewis, of course. <laughs> Uh, what about Woody Allen? He's pretty big in France. <laughs> I'm not sure about that yeah. one, but uh, you know, I, I, I um, let's see. What else was I going to ask you about? It, what it kind of reminds me of how you're describing it. Um, I don't know. Did you ever read the original novel of, of Roger Rabbit before they made it into the feature film? It was kind of like film noirish. I mean, the film itself was kind of too, but. You know, I know of it. I know it had a slightly different title. Wasn't it Who Who Murdered Roger Rabbit? Uh, or Who Censored Roger Rabbit or something. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I knew it had a slightly different title. Uh, no, I haven't read it, but that's... Um, I hadn't even I hadn't even thought about the fact that there was that novel. That's something I, uh, I'm going to put on a list of uh, things I want to read because um, this does sound like uh, it, it might uh, have some relevance. Right. Uh, it's that's I, I also that. yes. you know, yeah I that, that. I remember the, that the novel itself was different yeah yeah I remember that it was this is we're different what we're doing is different I, I I think what we're doing is different than what's ever been done on uh-huh. this type of uh, film law mm-hmm. uh, I can't think of anything that's been done like what we're doing with mm-hmm. Danny and Harry yeah it it was uh, pretty it was pretty shocking the first time. Uh, I saw Walter's art for a scene where somebody gets shot because there was blood, yeah. <laughs> and and we're, we you know previously we've been looking at these funny characters running around in some cases uh, hitting each other, but then there was gunplay and there was blood and there was death and it's not gory, it's <laughs> not over the top, uh, but there's blood and it was extra shocking because it's not overly violent and gory and because it is cartoony so it makes any anything that is real even more real like somebody <laughs> getting shot and dying and either bleeding out or just dying from the gunshot wound itself mm-hmm. and um, so that it that makes it a little bit uh, a little bit different, and that brings home the reality of it in those parts of the story where you realize pretty early on um, can, people can die. Like I said, unlike a Warner Brothers cartoon where some you know, bomb blows up in somebody's face and they're back uh, two seconds later. Right, right. Um, it kind of reminds me of this too. Is like um, you mentioned Joe Staten, and he's of course drawing Dick Tracy currently and he's working with Mike Curtis who also did uh, furry fandom for a long time with his Shanda Fantasy Arts so I'm kind of aware of that and I've interviewed both of them on separate occasions and together I'm planning to interview them again I don't know when it's going to happen but 
for uh, Dick Tracy's, what is it, 80th anniversary or something like that? Something like the 90th or something like that. I don't remember how, the anniversary of Dick Tracy, but it's something like and that. And then Joe Stane's been drawing it now for quite some time. Yeah. I think it might be six years. It, could it possibly be six years already? Sounds about right. So yeah. it's, something, it's something like that. And he's doing a fantastic job with it. And, yeah. uh he loves doing it. It's it's been his dream. Um, I've read interviews with him where he talks about, you know, uh, being on the kitchen floor on Sunday morning with the paper spread out and reading Dick Tracy and grabbing a crayon and uh, <laughs> and and trying to copy the drawings. Yeah. Well, I know for them would be much more comfortable on a table, <laughs> <laughs> but not as good a story. Yeah. But I know for Mike, this is like a dream come true because Mike Curtis, even though he started off writing Richie Rich stories for Harvey Comics, his dream was always to write either for Superman or for Dick Tracy, and he got Dick Tracy. So, yeah. Yeah, Speaking of, of Richie Rich, I've also worked with Peter Cooper, okay. and yeah. that was one of who's doing uh, Spy vs. Spy, right. and that was one of his first co jobs in comics, professional jobs was inking Richie Rich. That's correct, yeah. That's... Which he said was which he said was so boring that he would watch TV while he was doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if you're familiar with all my books, but one of my books is the Harvey Comics Companion. No, we're not. We're not. Tell us about yourself, yeah, Mark. So, <laughs> one of my... <laughs> I'm going to tell us about myself on my own podcast, but I usually do anyway, not on the interviews. But, um, no... Harvey, Com Harvey Comics was actually my first love that I did a fanzine for for almost 25 years. And finally it culminated in the Harvey Comics Companion. And I interviewed anybody and everybody and found out a lot of people that worked at Harvey, maybe for short stints, that did a lot of other things. And Peter Cooper's one. Another one is like Milton Knight, who I interviewed a couple of weeks ago on this show. And, uh, yeah, they all kind of stepped through the doors of Harvey at some point. Um, the the most surprising I never, I never one is, uh, I don't know if you read Mark Evanier's News From Me column. but I've seen it, but not, I don't read it on a regular basis, but I have seen it. Okay. He uh, actually reached out to me and he says, is there any truth to the fact that uh, uh, Hervé Villachez actually worked for Harvey Comics? And I said, yeah. <laughs> It's absolutely true. I got wow. Doing what? When he grew up and, or as tall as he got, he grew up and uh, uh, became an artist and a painter in France. And wow. uh, he came out to the United States. He didn't have any money. And before he got really solid in acting with like the Man with Golden Gun and Fantasy Island and things like that, uh, his one of his first gigs was inking pages for Harvey Comics in the early seventies. <laughs> You know, he never got credit, you, so you never see this stuff. But yeah, it, he was one of them. So. How did you uncover that Peter Cooper worked for Harvey? How did you figure that out? Uh, I either somebody told me, or I read it somewhere. I don't even remember now, you know. But I know he did. You know, he's in the book, so you know. It's like, wow, that yeah. that's that's amazing because. Um, yeah, I didn't think that was uh, that 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 information was really out there, but apparently it is. But I didn't know that story that you told just now that he would ink in front of the TV. That would have been funny to put in the book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not surprised he didn't tell you somebody on the record. Yeah. <laughs> 
because you know when I first knew about him was like you said Spy versus Spy, which he's still doing. I think he's done it longer than the original guy, Antonio Perillas. But uh, you know, it's like um, apparently he likes it. I guess uh, you know, so he keeps doing it. So yeah, and he did um, uh, Aesop's Fables with me for uh, Fantagraphics okay. uh, back in the late late eighties, early nineties. Uh, ran three issues. He did the first cover. He did a story in each issue, and one of, one or two of them was just reprinted in the. Um, uh, somebody just did a book of classic children's stuff, and you know what? Let me just grab it right here because the readers are going to want to know the graphic. Uh, your listeners, the graphic canon of children's literature, huh. which is a big thick book and um, got all children's stories from you know the public domain primarily okay. and uh, so the, the his Aesop's fables that, that we did together uh, are in there um, a lot of a lot of people were in that uh, compilation uh, Rick Geary yeah. and my approach to that was uh, kind of similar to, to, to what we're doing with Danny and Harry and that it, it's that was even wackier <laughs> but um, but the stories were such good stories that uh, I figured they could be done in, in a slightly offbeat style. Uh, but I think Danny and Harry is much more um, serious. It's actually more serious. It's hmm. it's much more straightforward. The stories uh, are we try to plot them as tightly as we can and and make sure it all makes sense and. Um, uh, you know, Walter is uh, very, very good at uh, kind of being a, a, a. We supervise each other. I, I kind of oversee the art, and he oversees the, sor- the story. But he draws the art, and I write the story. Mm-hmm. So it, it all works out very, very well. And uh, the fact that we disagree on on certain things at certain times, it's only for a little while. <laughs> I uh, sometimes um, I will convince him uh, of doing certain, something a certain way. Sometimes he'll convince me, mm-hmm. and I definitely have had to compromise. I don't know if he feels he's had to compromise at all, but I definitely feel <laughs> like I've had to compromise at times. But uh, ultimately, I don't regret it because uh, I don't think you see the work, so to speak. You don't see the the struggle that went into figuring out how we were going to do something you just see what i hope is a well-constructed story mm-hmm. yeah, I, to get back to hobby comments what was the page rate does anyone know uh, i wrote it been much i wrote about it in the book and i think at the end it got up to like 35 bucks a page but that i was, I, I was gonna say i was gonna say 40 but uh yeah and Wait, i think was, 30, pencil, 35 pencil, is probably right pencil and ink um, that I'm not sure. I mean, I do know people like Warren Kremer got paid a lot more, but that was because he was like the guy and did most of the covers and things like that. Um, I don't know that guy. What was his name? Warren. Warren Kremer. That's a, you're asking me about my books. That's a, one of my next that, books. 
is is uh, uh, a book about Warren Kremer because he's like one of my favorite artists and nobody knows who he is. You know, no. it's like. No, I don't. I've never heard of his name. Yeah. No, I know. I know his. I know his stuff. He, he's the um, equivalent of, uh, say, a Dan DiCarlo at Archie or Carl Barks at uh, Disney. You know, yeah. he, he's like or Kirby or Ditko at Marvel. You know, it's like somebody like that, except oh, okay. nobody knows who oh, he okay. is. You know. Um, well, no, I know. I know who Steve Ditko. He was my favorite. Yeah, but I, I. Well, I'm talking about Harvey. I mean, I it's like that. yeah. So, so I mean, the, his yeah. his closest peer who is still around is Ernie Cologne, but. Oh. He's done a lot of different stuff, not just Harvey. So, no, I used to buy. That. Actually, you know, to tell you the truth, I used to buy the, the Harvey comics, and I liked them a lot. I used yeah. to read them probably more than I read Marvel and DC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was reading the Harvey comics in this would have been '65, '66, and uh, since since uh, uh, you know a lot about Harvey, maybe you can answer this question: Why did Sad Sack always have? A different artist on the cover than the artist that did the interiors. I could never, and I never liked the cover artist. I liked the interiors. <laughs> That's funny. And you I say would kind of, I would kind of hold my nose and buy each issue and open it up as fast as I could to get past those covers. It's funny that you say that because the cover artist is George Baker, and he was the one who created the character. <laughs> Well, I, I certainly, I certainly did not know that as a kid. Now, how it started don't is that, don't ask that question again. Don't ask that question again. <laughs> no. Hey, what about Gold Key? You remember Gold Key comics? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I used to buy them a lot too. I, I, I like them a lot. Yeah, Gold, Gold Key. Uh, a lot of their artists, besides you know, we said Carl Barks for Disney, but for like uh, the Hanna Barbera titles and others, they had a lot of the Hanna Barbera regulars that were animators and storyboard artists there that did a lot of the uh, the comic books and things like that. So, uh, uh -huh. yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, figures because the art <laughs> was really good in the, in the Gold Key comics. I mean, they had. Uh, but, Alex Toth didn't he do uh, Zorro for which one? Key? Which one? Alex Alex Toth. Yeah, I think he did for a brief time. You know, but he, he also did, uh, did he, stuff at Hanna Barbera as well. You know, and everything yeah. else, and blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. yeah, going back to Sad Sack briefly, just to explain. So Sad Sack originally was a army strip in this magazine called Yank, uh, which was an army weekly not a porn magazine like it was later but <laughs> which is true <laughs> which is true and uh he drew these uh like multi-panel silent gag strips where sad sack would be uh doing something and he'd get in trouble by the end and stuff like that but when harvey took it over to um well then after the war after world war ii they stopped the strip and then it became a Sunday strip in the newspapers and again it was a silent strip it was like about 10 panels or something like that and then Harvey in 1949 made a comic book and originally they're just reprinting the Sunday strips and of course since they're printing them so fast they ran out of them so they had to do some new strips well George Baker wasn't good at doing like a longer story with dialogue and things like that so they brought in other artists to ghost him to fill out the story and make them longer like five pages or ten pages or whatever and it eventually got to the point where he says well if these other guys are doing that let them do it i'll just do the covers but 
slowly over time, like from the 50s to the 70s when he died, his artwork kind of really morphed and got <laughs> excessively atrocious. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's the same guy. And it's like, I don't know if he had some sort of, you know, issues with drawing or anything like that, or if he just was dashing it off quickly, which wow, it got more and more sloppy. That part I don't know, because he died in 1975. So, <laughs> but yeah, that's the basic story. And then other artists carried on and did the, the strips for the comic books. Maybe, maybe for, he got just bored with it. He got burnt out. You know? yeah. But he drew so many covers that there's still covers to this day that have never been published because... <laughs> <laughs> and the people I know that worked at Harvey, like I interviewed Paul Marangeli, and they, he said, oh, just pull out a, a cover out of the files there, and there'd be which files were filled with just covers that the guy drew, and that would be on the yeah, next I, issue. I was, very, I was very happy that he was not doing the interiors. <laughs> yeah, if he did, he was. it was way back at the beginning, like I said. you know, By the time you're talking about in the 60s, uh, like there's a good artist that did it uh, that I liked it. He 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 he's kind of a fun kind of cartoony artist named Fred Rhodes. He did a lot of them. And uh, there's another guy named Jack O'Brien that did a, quite a few strips for. You know, I'm I'm looking at some images right now of Sad Sack George Baker covers from what must be the I don't know late 40s, early 50s, and then what it looked like in the 60s. And... <laughs> I, I still don't, I mean, I, I'm not enamored of what it looked like originally, but it, it looked a lot better than it ended up looking in the, in the mid-60s, that's for, that's for sure. Well, Walter can answer this one. I'm going to ask Walter this, because it was a question I was going to ask anyway, but the, you have this tendency to draw totally different depending on what it is. Like, you know, you're, I've seen some of your storyboard art. It doesn't look like anything you did for Crazy or Cracked. And no. you know, and it's like, and even this stuff we're talking now, it looks different again. You know, with the film noir, funny animal look, and everything like that. So you can change your yeah. style. How do you do that? Is that easy for you, or do you just do it? <laughs> yeah, it's very easy. It's very easy. I don't know how I do it. It's like <laughs> maybe uh, uh, I have multiple personalities. <laughs> well, there a lot of a lot of. Uh, the better artists have that ability. I know that. Uh, oh, you know, who, I'm sorry, Charles. You know who? You know who can do that? I'll, I'll give you two names that that can do that. Uh, Neil Adams can do that, and Frank Frazetta did it very well. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's true. Uh, Frank Frazetta did it fantastic. Oh man, Frank Frazetta. <laughs> Joe Staten. Uh, the 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 more cartoony Joe Staten gets to draw, the better he likes it. Yeah. And that's true. I've he seen, would, yeah, Scooby Doo is quite much, a bit different yeah. than Dick Tracy and other stuff, yep. E Man and stuff like that. So, yeah, I get what you mean. But, you know, I'm an artist to a point. You know, I think I draw pretty well. But um, having me draw more realistic, uh, very time consuming, very difficult for me. But cartoony, yeah, I can do that all day long. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you, know who, do you know who Fred Hembeck is? Yeah, yeah. He's, he started out wanting to imitate, believe it or not, Neil Adams. <laughs> and I've never seen that material, but at some point he just decided to become a cartoonist and he's been pretty successful at that. Right. But um, uh, I, I'm working with, uh, on various projects, I've been working with a Filipino artist named Jim Jimenez, and I worked with him for five years before I saw his cartoon, his really cartoony stuff. Yeah. And 
because he draws in a very realistic comic book style. His cartoony stuff is absolutely charming and brilliant yeah. and amazing. And I don't know if he can draw. I assume he can do it in comics. I just saw a single illustrations. But uh, most really, really good artists can do that. Yeah. And when you see a really simple little cartoon, if that's all you see or initially what you see of an artist... You think, well, you know, that, I can do that. That's anybody can do that. Well, it takes an awful lot of skill to be able to draw that simply. Yeah. Well, that's why I discovered when well, I did the Warren yeah, Kramer the, book. The better, the better, oh, go ahead. The better draftsman you are, the better your cartoons are going to look. Mm-hmm. I mean, I take more Drucker, for instance. Like, that guy is a superb draftsman. And he can draw. I saw some of his work where he was kind of realistic. Mm-hmm. And I also saw Jack Davis, who was another really good draftsman, mm-hmm. where he could draw, you know, he could do the cartoon itself, he could do that bad comic book look, and he also used to do realistic stuff. Right, yeah. Yeah, more Drucker's realistic stuff, uh, I've seen the war comics, and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's even more realistic than, than Jack Davis's straight stuff, and uh, uh you know, more Drucker's cartoons are obviously very different from yeah, yeah. from his straight stuff, but uh, another example of uh, a versatile artist. Yeah. Well, like I was mentioning, well, I, I, you know what it is. You know what it is. I call it the paycheck. Yeah. You're going to give me how much money to do something realistic? <laughs> oh, you got it. <laughs> Uh, you want cartooning? Yeah. How much money do you do that again? Ah, no problem. <laughs> well, I'm just yeah, always amazed on. by that because, see, for me, it's like you could say, you know, here's some more money to make it more realistic, and it would be a struggle for me, and it just always bugged me that uh, I couldn't draw as realistic as, well, you know. Well, you know what? Hmm? You shouldn't do that. <laughs> what? <laughs> draw realistic or draw, take money? Yes, if it's a struggle, if it's a struggle, it means it's stressing you out. That can affect your whole sex life. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> if if you have a sex life, <laughs> not going to discuss that here. Now wasn't anyway, there wasn't wasn't there a little sad sack? <laughs> There's my sex life right there. <laughs> That's my sex life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, we're in, we have something in common, Walter. Um, <laughs> I say to people, how's your sex life? They, they, when they say it, I say, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> well, wasn't there a little sad sack? There was a little sad sack. It was, um, it only ran a for a couple one, years. It only was ran for a couple the, years in the 60s. And yeah, was, it, he in the, was he in the army? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. He was in the, oh, you got that guy mixed up. There was a big, big sack. He was in the, uh, he was in the Navy. <laughs> big sack. <laughs> he just had a big sack. That's all. Anyway, <laughs> uh, and I see. He, I see here that Sandsack also had a talking dog. Yes, let's see. I didn't know about that either. Yeah. Did that, what, what kind of personality did that dog have? Um, a happy, happy. He was yeah, happy. I mean, you know, he's kind of lazy type dog. You know, that's about it. You know, but they. They don't. They didn't really put him in the regular comics. So if you were reading the regular Sad Sack, it wasn't in there. It's like I don't know if you ever got the Harvey Hits title, where it was kind of like a DC showcase or something like that, where they just had tryout issues. 
Um, somewhere along the line. Oh yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking at that now. I'm looking at Harvey Hits number 108. Yeah. So they they had later on they got in a rut and they just did some mutsy issues and they did some Gabby Gob. There's your Navy one and little sad sack. I told you and, the Navy. Didn't I say it was in the Navy? Yeah. That's what I was talking about. <laughs> and uh, but in the early ones they had some interesting tryout issues that actually that's how Richie Rich his first even though he's in the back of little dot his first solo title was uh, Harvey Hits issue. And the dog was in the army. Yeah, the dog was in the army too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but not not little sad sack. No, little sad sack. Uh, I don't know how that's related, you know, because I've read him before, and it's kind of like sad sack as a little boy, <laughs> which is, I guess, a takeoff of like on little Archie, but you know, it didn't really make any sort of logical sense. I mean, why, why did they do this? But you know, hey, they did a lot of weird things at uh, at Harvey. You know, they had a cow sills comic, right. and they had. Uh, <laughs> But there was no suspense in Little Sad Sack. You knew he wasn't going to get killed because he grows up to be Sad Sack, just like you knew Superboy wasn't going to be killed right. because he was going to grow up to be Superman. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think that the whole point of Little Sad Sack was kind of making him like Charlie Brown or something like that, you know, just a perpetual loser. But it didn't quite come off. It's kind of a strange comic book title. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, even, even stranger than Sad Sack. Yes. Well, yeah, Sad Sack in, <laughs> itself is kind of a strange comic. But, you know, there, there's always kind of, like, all along in all forms of entertainment, there's always, like, the military guy of some sort uh, that's looked down upon, you know, or something. Well, Beetle, did Beetle Bailey come after Sad Sack? It did. But, you know, it's the yeah. same type of idea. And then, you know, there's a lot of TV shows, like, you know that if it you know if it isn't the lead character, there's somebody in the character looked down upon, like Bilko. It's Doberman or something, right? You know, Gomer Pyle or you know whatever. You know all those different shows. So you know it's just the weird thing how military works. On a walk, a yes. walk. How do you like living in Oregon? I live. <laughs> I live in Oregon, not Oregon, but hey. <laughs> oh, oh, Oregon, Oregon. Okay, yeah, Oregon. Um, you live in L.A. Did you live in California? I lived in California. I didn't live in L.A. except when I was a kid. Oh, okay. Um, oh. I'm actually going back there uh, tomorrow or today, depending on my mood. Um, which is one reason I had so many meetings this morning. It's like, um, I, I don't know if you guys, if you're like so good on freelancing, you don't have to do other jobs or anything. I, I always have to maintain a regular 9-to-5 job because the books don't pay the bills. You know, it's like, you know, on a consistent basis. So, um, I lost my job about a week ago and then I scrambled around to look for work this week and I said, you know, I don't usually get a job that quickly. I'm going to go take it a couple weeks off and go to California and visit my dad and go to Southern California and go to, to some events I put off and everything. And yeah, well, the thing is I can't do everything now because I already got a new job lined up and that's what I was doing this morning. It's like, you know, that's why I said, I got a couple meetings, you know, and it's like, so. So, so, so I, I'm only answering because I'm, I'm in the process of selling my house. Yeah. And I'm down here in Florida and I don't know, it's not that not that great, really. It's hot as hell. Mm. Well you won't get that in Oregon well, maybe except maybe in August if that's where, if you're considering moving up here. <laughs> where, where where you want, Oregon? 
Yeah. There's a couple other cartoons up here. Mike Allred's up here. <laughs> he lives in the same town. <laughs> so, you know, I'm in. I don't know him. Yeah, uh, he does Madman, and uh, currently oh, he's done a, a version of the Silver Surfer title. And uh, yeah, he's, he's, done, he's done a bunch of stuff for Marvel. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he has a very distinct style. If you see it, you'd go, oh, I get it. He, he works with his wife, and they both live here. And Well, I don't live in Eugene anymore. I live next door in Springfield, which is the, where the Simpsons live. But, uh, <laughs> um, and, yeah. I'm no, just wondering, you know, just yeah. wondering. Yeah. I yeah. might wind up in Europe. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I know. Everybody talks about that. Not to get too political. It's like so many people I talk to is like, I think I'll move to Europe. <laughs> it's like, okay. You know, it's like, hmm. Little towns, little towns and villages that are pretty, pretty nice, you know. Yeah. Everything's home. Yeah. Food is all homemade. I mean, I do have friends that moved to Europe, and uh, but they moved a long I mean, time ago. Know. It's like they bailed out, the, you know, I'm in my 50s now, and they bailed out when they were in their 20s. They're like, we're tired of this. And, and to me, in my 20s, I couldn't even think of living in another country. It didn't even cross my mind, you know. It's like, you know, nowadays I could well, uh, possibly Walter, you do. need to Walter, you need to move to Paris so you can hawk Danny and Harry. That's right. Yeah, he said it's going to be popular over there. Italy. So. I was in the war of Italy, you know, in the little towns, not the big cities, little towns and, and the little villages. <laughs> it can be like Picasso. Oh, did, did you ever see that skit on Saturday Night Live way back in the 80s with John Lovitz no. and he plays Picasso? It's on YouTube. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he just signs a napkin and he says, Here, go sell this. I'm Picasso. <laughs> yeah, that's what you could do. I'm Walter Brogan. But everybody's going to go, Who? <laughs> Wally D. <laughs> Remember me from Cracked? Uh oh. <laughs> I'm big in America. <laughs> Remember me? Remember, remember me? Uh, I was the supermodel of Crack Magazine. <laughs> I'll probably stay down here. <laughs> How did those photo shoots go? I asked you about those before. I think you know, it was one where you're like a cop on the roof or something, and they do. I've, they, I've seen that. I've seen that picture. Yeah, <laughs> they had Walter doing all oh, sorts that, of weird yeah, crap. That was, well, yeah, no, that was uh, that was uh, Andy Simmons. Yeah. Lou Silver song. Um, I was supposed to make funny faces. Uh huh. And, you know, I was making all these. They were like, I mean, there were like six or seven more photographs where I made these goofy looking faces. <laughs> but why, and, why did they you pick know, you? Good. Just for that? You know, because it's like, how would they know what you look like? I guess you did meet up with them at some point, but, you know. <laughs> no, it was funny. You know, I made really crazy, goofy looking faces. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> and that's people were laughing like that. <laughs> and then people, you know, I don't know, like, like, would you have done that? You probably wouldn't do that, right? Or Charles, you wouldn't have done that, right? Make these, like, funny, goofy faces, and you know it's going to be published, and a lot of people are going to see it. I might have. I'm not ruling it out. Uh, it's, it's not something I aspire to, but I. <laughs> <laughs> That's my career how about, choice: how about, making funny faces. How about, how about 
about you, Rock? Were you looked on stuff like that? Oh yeah. I mean, I looked at the old issues of Mad, oh, okay. and it, it always floored oh. me when I found out it was Al Feldstein. Feldstein would make the weirdest faces, like he'd sneer or something, and he'd have a cigarette dangling yeah, out of his mouth. Yeah, and yeah, I said, "This that. is the editor of Mad. He's supposed to be a serious guy, and he's doing these goofy faces." And I, and I liked it that he did, and you know, and Gaines, Gaines too. Gaines, Gaines would act goofy too, you know, and it's like. Yeah, as a, as a matter of fact, I, I would like nothing more than to have you two guys make a series of funny faces and send them to me. I'd like to take a look at them. Uh-oh. <laughs> and then what? <laughs> I, can, I, can tell you, I can tell you that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then Walter has 12 new uh, fake Facebook accounts. <laughs> hey. And, and blackmail material. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, what kind of things are you going to make? You know, I just funny things. Lou used to do that. Lou Silverstone, he used to do that. Yeah, he did a few of those. And actually, that sounds like something. A, that sounds like something a model would actually get paid to do. Yeah. Yeah, making funny faces is good. Like I, I, um, I, f I finally acquired uh, the program that was sold at the final Monty Python concerts like three or four years ago. And uh, inside, when they have current photos of all the Python guys, they're making the goofiest faces because they figure we're old, we don't need to look proper anymore, and so they're just like sticking their tongues out and poking their eyes out and everything else. I, I saw them at I, I, I used to do that. I used to do that when I would come home from work. I used to do it on the subway and on the on the line. On the ferry boat, just to get people's reaction. Oh, I thought just, just to, to get your own up. seat. Anyway, huh? I thought you just did just to get your own seat on the subway. No, I used to do that. Sometimes, sometimes when I was one, one, my first wife or my second wife, I would just start making these funny faces and it would embarrass them to like no end. Wow. To the point where they would say, don't do that, you're embarrassing me, and I would make even more funny faces. <laughs> Charles, you mentioned City Center. It was so what, yeah, yeah. What, what was that like? I saw Monty Python. I think it was jealous that's why I had to bring it up again since you mentioned it briefly because it's like um, they they appeared at Hollywood Bowl in 1980 and I was like 13 at that time but I loved Monty Python and I was so oh I wish I could see him but oh well I can't do it because I was in Northern California and they're in Southern California and my you know and then it turned out I found out a few years later my uncle went to it 
and, and his <laughs> wife and daughters. And I was like, ah, you didn't invite me? You know, it was, well, we didn't think about it, you know, and I was so jealous. And also, it just didn't seem like something they would have gone to. It, so it never crossed my mind, oh, are you going to this? You know, because <laughs> they seemed well, a little more traditional than the way I think, you know, to put it. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll make it even worse for you. All I right. saw uh, Andy Kaufman at Carnegie Hall. Wow. <laughs> And then, and then and I have friends said, that are older that have seen the Beatles, you know, and it's like, ah, you know. That's, like, yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. And they always say they always say the same thing. They go, "Well, I saw the, I saw the Beatles. I couldn't hear the Beatles. I saw them." No, and I no. said, "Yeah, but you yeah. went, you know." Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you know, I was friends with a copywriter back in 1978. Yeah. Who was friends with Andy Kaufman? Yeah. And he used to come up and see him. And the three of us would sit in his office. <laughs> wow. Yeah, a guy named Mike Shapiro. He was friends with him. Hmm. Not sure if I know who that is. Uh, trying to think. Anyway. Um, no, you wouldn't know Mike Shapiro. I wouldn't? Oh, okay. <laughs> no. Okay. He was a copyright I worked with. Oh, mind. okay. It just, he sounds familiar, like he would be somebody. <laughs> now, you know what I, I did not see that I wished I had been to? And a cousin of mine went, I don't know where I was. He saw the Carl Stalling project. Oh, wow, yeah. I didn't see well, that I saw either. The Carl, <laughs> saw the Carl Stalling orchestra play live to, yeah. to Warner Brothers cartoons. I think that was at Carnegie Hall as well. Yeah. All right, let me let me think of something that might make you jealous. I don't know. It's like I've met a lot of celebrities over the years, but it's like uh, just certain concerts I just never saw. I mean, I did see like George Carlin or somebody like that, but it seems like everybody's seen him. Yeah. Uh, I'm I met um, uh, Dustin Hoffman. Wow. One on one alone. <laughs> now the the circumstances were truly bizarre. Uh, there's a piece, I think it's, is it Benjamin Britten's Young People's Guide to the Orchestra? Okay. It has a, a narration where somebody narrates the diff about the different instruments. Yeah. And I took my first year of college at Oneonta, State University of New York at Oneonta, and apparently Dustin Hoffman knew the orchestra, the, the guy who uh, ran the, the music program at Oneonta, and agreed to do this spoken part for him. Now, this was 1973. Dustin Hoffman was oh. as big as he's ever been right. <laughs> at that time. And at the end of the concert, they said Dustin Hoffman will be uh, backstage in, the, uh, one of the, in one of the dressing rooms signing autographs. So yeah. I thought, well... I'll go try to get the program autographed, but there's going to be a line out the door. <laughs> I go back there, and these two giggling girls are just coming out of the dressing room. They must have just been in there and gotten his autograph. I walk in there. <laughs> He's in this dressing room by himself. Hmm. There's nobody in back of me. There's nobody in front of me. It's just him <laughs> standing there. I was so nervous that I was calm, okay? And I said to him, I actually, I, I was calm because I was so nervous. Oh, I think you said something else. <laughs> Me too, but I was keeping quiet. And I, I actually thought of something intelligent. I thought of something intelligent to say. I said that I read that 
the next movie you're going to make is based on the detective stories about the rabbi. Uh-huh. Uh, Saturday the rabbi did this, Sunday the rabbi did It was a series of mysteries that was popular around that time, and I think there was seven of them, one for each day of the week. Uh-huh. And I had read that they had the rights, they were going to make this movie. And he said, oh, no, uh, we decided we're not going to do that. We're going to do Lenny Bruce. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I said, oh, that, that'll be interesting. And he signed my program, and that was the end of it. And I walked out, and I thought, well, I just had an intelligent one-on-one conversation with Dustin Hoffman <laughs> in a dressing room at the State University College at Oneonta. And I thought, this, what are the chances of something like that happening? Hmm. And, got some, and got some inside information on this next movie. Wow. <laughs> did, you, did you get the autograph? I still have it. Huh. Oh, okay. Uh. <laughs> the only Dustin Hoffman story I have, I've never met him, but I always like the story. You, do you know the story about him meeting Paul McCartney uh, during the recording of Band on the Run? No. Um, apparently they met up, I forgot where they were, probably in Europe or somewhere else, but uh, Dustin was asking Paul, you know, how do you write a song? I mean... And uh, he says, well, ideas come to me different ways or whatever. And he says, well, like, here's a newspaper article. Pablo Picasso, I'm talking about Picasso again. Pablo Picasso just died. Could you write a song about that? And he says, I think I could. And then he just pulled out the guitar and just started playing. Like, he found out the final words that Picasso supposedly said were, drink to me, drink to my health. You know I can't drink anymore. That was supposedly the last thing he ever said before he died. And uh, Paul just starts singing, drink to me, drink to my health. Just right in front of Dustin, you know, <laughs> immediately. And it's on the record. And it's like, you know, and there, if you get, like, the expanded version or something, there's interviews with the different celebrities, and Dustin's on there, and he says that story. And it's like, wow, you know, he just was floored that he could just come up with a song like that, you know. That would have been right, that would have been right around the same time. Cause yeah, Band yeah. On the Run was what.
you know, and uh, I told him I was doing a fanzine about Harvey Comics, and he says, wow, that's really interesting, you know, and everything like that. We were talking for about 20, 30 minutes, and then finally some handler says, oh, Mr. Lee, you need to come to this event. Oh, sorry, gotta go, you know, but keep it up. Good luck to you, and I hope you have some success or something to the those type of words, and I was like floored. I was like, wow, you know. <laughs> I know he does, but <laughs> when I saw him and that I was by myself with him was was more significant. <laughs> like you could probably meet Dustin Hoffman now if he wrote a book and was at the bookstore signing, but you'd be like the Stanley now, three seconds and you're gone. You you wouldn't have to be able to talk to him, you know. So I think he'll still remember me. <laughs> He'd probably run. I don't, I don't, I don't think he, I don't think he remembers. I don't think he remembers much these days. He has that restraining order. Uh -huh. <laughs> he has the oh, one for you and Sheldon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. So, I don't know, we really detoured. Is there any final comments or anything else you want to say? <laughs> uh, let's talk about Danny and Harry. All right. Who? Who? <laughs> Danny and Harry. So, uh, what's the easiest? What is the easiest way to pick up Danny and Harry online, or can it? Can you find uh, yeah, it in stores? Uh, it's, uh, Comixology. Just go to Comixology. Uh, Danny and Harry. Uh, Private Detectives. You could you throw my last name in there, Santino or Brogan as a last name. It'll come up pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. First issue is a dollar ninety nine for the the PDF. The second issue comes out the beginning of November, and we're going to come out the beginning of each month. And then when the six issues are done, it's going to be collected as an ebook and a print book. Okay. And hopefully the next uh, story sequence will start right after that. We're going to try to do it monthly and collect it every six months. That's, that is the plan. And Walter's uh, very fast. <laughs> I'm pretty fa I'm pretty fast when I when I actually sit down and get to it. Uh, so so we'll see how it goes. We 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 might have bitten off a bit of an ambitious schedule, but the first uh, the first sequence, the 140 pages, are uh, they're they're all done. They just have to be um, uh, some of them have to be lettered, but that that's pretty quick. Yeah. But Comicsology is the way to go. Every six months, it'll be on Amazon as well uh, as a print book. Very good. Okay. And Any other projects to plug besides 
that, or is this taking up your yeah, whole time? Well, I, I, uh, <laughs> not, not, to, not together. I'm doing uh, uh, two, soon to be three different web comics at the Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, website. They have a subscription service for uh, adapting pretty much everything that Edgar Rice Burroughs has ever written. Oh, wow. And uh, by the time I got there, all the, all the good stuff was taken. <laughs> uh, I didn't know he had written uh, basically melodramas. I'm doing two different melodramas, one called The Girl from Hollywood, another one called The Girl from Farris's, which mm. was a whorehouse mm. in Chicago. And uh, then Inspector Muldoon, which are locked room puzzle story murder mysteries, which even after you read the solution, you won't be able to figure out. <laughs> And, but, um, and I'm working. I'm working on some other stuff as well. Uh, I don't. I don't think Walter's doing any other comic book work right now. Are you, Walter? No, 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 not right now. I'm just uh, right now. It's just Danny and Harry, and occasionally I get a I'll get a storyboard job come in. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, so you're I still doing some storyboarding on occasion. Okay, all right. Yeah, the, the storyboards are okay, uh, and uh, that's it. And I've been, uh, Mark, I've been listening to your podcasts. I find them very entertaining. I I don't listen to that many podcasts. I will watch some people do little reviews of things on uh, YouTube, but um, I, I listen to your podcast and the Gilbert Gottfried podcast. I do, too. I like the Gilbert yeah, Gottfried. That, that, <laughs> I, and uh, Mark, uh, is it Evanier? Is that the way it's pronounced? Yes. Yeah, he was he was on the Gilbert Gottfried. It was uh, it was pretty interesting. Yes. <laughs> um, the thing I like about Gilbert Gottfried is sometimes, well, I guess like mine, is he'll have somebody that I don't even know, and once I listen to it, I go, oh, I know that guy, or I know about what he's done. You know, <laughs> you know, it's things like well, that. Well, yeah, I've, I've I've watched ten movies he was involved in and had no idea he was involved in. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the last guy you interviewed. Dan, well, I forget his last name. Oh, Fiorella? Yeah. Yeah, he comes from Staten Island, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. He's also. Yeah, that's, that's, where I, that's where I come from, Staten Island, but I don't remember that guy. He's also a writer. I, so. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even remember him when he, when he worked for Crack Magazine. Well, he worked, I think we said last time, 1997 to 2004, like at the tail end. Yeah, I was there. I was there in 97. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You said you were there when Culpo was there. I, I always forget when everybody ends. I know when they start, but it, it, there's no big ceremony when somebody left cracked. It was just like, it just stops. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know. Um, well, yeah, uh, but uh, it's, it's strange that, um, that I don't remember him. Yeah. Being that we're both from Staten Island, also John Ficara is from Staten Island. Oh, that's funny. And he worked for yeah. Crack briefly too, but he worked there back before yeah. he did Mad and everything. So. Yeah. Well, there was a story Lou told me about that, but I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm not saying nothing. Lou Silva's gone. Told me jumping. Uh, but anyway, so. Uh, well, I'm going to go get a lunch. You guys want to carry on? <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of hungry. <laughs> Is the baby crying? What's going on over there? No, uh, no. Uh, There's no, no hippo parts. Uh, no, nothing. Uh, What's going on over there? I got gas. I got gas. 
listeners must be wondering how do these two guys ever produce anything? (laughs) 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 All right. (laughs) I'm I'm wondering the same thing myself. (laughs) You probably work in separate residences, I'm sure. Well, yeah, we've never never met. We actually are are the same age. We grew up pretty much in the same geographical area. I grew up on Long Island. he on Staten Island. We never, we never, we've never met. Yeah. Uh, we've talked on the phone and email, and, that, and that's about it. But but uh, it seems it seems to work. Having pretty much the same background, having watched the same you know, monster movies and cartoons growing up, and uh, frequenting the same kind of newsstands growing up, yeah. we, we basically have the same background. Uh, one thing that um, he does not share with me is my love of uh, Japanese monster movies, though. <laughs> I like them to a point. My Japanese monster movies, it has to be a guy in a rubber suit. That's my quality. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only way to go. Because whenever there's a new Godzilla, oh. they go, Mark, did you see the new Godzilla? No, because it's not a guy in a rubber suit. <laughs> I, I, I agree. <laughs> yep. uh, yeah. well, I like Japanese girls, so... <laughs> Oh, one last question. Is there a chance? Is there a chance uh, once the books start coming out, uh, appearing at uh, conventions together, or anything like that? That will that will happen. Um, You know, we'd like to get some merchandise together. We talked about uh, plush toys, which are always fun, and uh, uh, you know, posters and 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 cards and other stuff. Yeah, that'll that'll definitely happen. Uh, I suspect it'll probably end up being at an Anthrocon or something like that because mm-hmm. those those shows are manageable. They get maybe five thousand people at Anthrocon, and the table is pretty reasonable. Right. Uh, but we, we I, I think right now, if we were to try to do one of the big comic book conventions, it yeah. might be a little bit of a waste of time. You get lost uh, in the shuffling. Yeah. yeah. There's they're so they're so big. Uh, I, I just came from the New York convention. There were two hundred fifty thousand people there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, well, you could come and see us. You could. We, we want you to come and see us. We even, we even let you buy a couch. <laughs> well, like I, 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 I've been to the East Coast quite a few times, both Florida and New York, just not in a while. It's been about ten years now, but. Uh, if you ever get a chance to come out to the West Coast, you know, let me know if you're doing a show out here, or even if you're doing a show back there, I could tr- probably make my way out there at some point. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, it'll happen. It'll happen at some point when it's economically feasible. It makes some sense. Um, we'll probably have to sell, uh, you know, a little bit more than I. It was funny. Walter said to me the other day, "Can, can we, let's ask Marcosia how many copies we've sold." I said, "I don't think we want to do that." <laughs> I, I, I just don't see that that's going to uh, brighten our day at this point. <laughs> How many fingers do I have? <laughs> I know my, I know my, I know my, one of my daughters bought one, so there, there's one. Yay! There we go. <laughs> All right. Well, I wish you the best of success on these uh, projects, and thank you, and thank you for spending some time with us. Okay, and yeah, you know. Thanks, Walt. Thank you very much, and we can do it again sometime, but, you know. It's been nice talking to you again. Okay. Always enjoy talking to you, too. All right. All right. Have a good day. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for listening, and thank you again, Walter Brogan and Charles Santino, for being my special guests. 
Episode number 10 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a Patreon of Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2018 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you very much, and have a good night.